This episode of The Energy Pipeline is sponsored by Caterpillar Oil & Gas. Since the 1930s, Caterpillar has manufactured engines for drilling, production, well service, and gas compression. With more than 2,100 dealer locations worldwide, Caterpillar offers customers a dedicated support team to assist with their premier power solutions. Welcome to the Energy Pipeline Podcast with your host, Casey Yost. Tune in each week to learn more about industry issues, tools, and resources to streamline and modernize the future of the industry. Whether you work in oil and gas or bring a unique perspective, this podcast is your knowledge transfer hub. Welcome to the Energy Pipeline. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Energy Pipeline Podcast. Today, our topic is small diameter pipe rehabilitation using reinforced thermoplastic pipe. We're fortunate to have David Gregory, Business Development Manager for Flex Steel Pipeline Technologies, as our guest. Welcome to the Energy Pipeline Podcast. David, we're thrilled you took the time to visit with us today. Absolutely. Thanks, Casey. Glad to have you here. So, David, I know you're a proud graduate of Texas A&M, truly an Aggie. Yes, sir take a few minutes and share a bit of your background with our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, definitely a proud graduate of Texas A&M. Uh, graduated in 2014 with a petroleum engineering degree, uh, at which point the, the energy industry was booming. Uh, so I was fortunate enough to get a job with an operator uh, in the upstream oil and gas space. Uh, a few years after that, found an opportunity with Flex Steel Pipeline. Uh, was able to leverage my my knowledge and my background of the upstream space uh, on the opera or the uh, the OEM side there, uh, and uh, and and really enjoyed the business development the the, the uh, project aspect of the of the the side of the industry. So uh, found a great opportunity and and it's blossomed into what is now today the the manager of business development at Flex Steel. So it's been a fun ride, but uh, uh, such as the the oil and gas industry, I suppose. Yes, absolutely. And you're traveling quite a bit. Didn't you just get back from Denver? Yes, sir. It seems like the airport is my is my second home these days, but uh, but that's good, right? I mean, it's a it's a sign of how successful Flex Steel has been in the market. Uh, it's really a sign of the market in general for uh, reinforced thermoplastic pipes, which I know we're here to discuss today. So I'm very very excited for that opportunity. Outstanding, outstanding. So before we get specifically into reinforced thermoplastic pipe, let's let's talk about rehabilitation, if you will, for small diameter, long pipeline segments. There there are typically four methods that are used in pipeline rehabilitation, isn't there? Aren't yes, there? sir. There's, there's four kind of main products or main purposes for pipeline rehabilitation. And, and in a broader sense, uh, rehabilitation as we see it um, encompasses the, the use of existing infrastructure um, for the installation of a new pipeline whether it be for continuation of a service or a complete transition from one service to the next. Uh, one of the major uh, focuses from a, from a rehab perspective, you've got a few different options. The, the Cured in Place, the CIPP products, are generally meant to form uh, to the ID of that existing infrastructure. Uh, the same goes for your tight-lined thermoplastic, your tight-lined HTPE systems. And so uh, the benefits there, of course, are you able to maintain the general ID of the infrastructure that you're using. Uh, the downsides there, of course, are that you are still relying on the integrity of that host pipe to provide the main uh, pressure bearing layer on the pipeline system. So certainly some pros and some cons from that perspective. 
Um, the the third option that kind of comes into play a little less often, but but certainly is is worth discussing is discussing is what we call pipe bursting, uh, wherein you can actually replace uh, existing infrastructure in kind with the same size, or even take a size up in diameter, uh, simply by splitting that existing infrastructure in half as you pull through a new product. Uh, but really and truly, slip lining, as we call it, or, or pipe and pipe rehab, as we focus on. Uh, is, is again, a, utilizing that existing infrastructure uh, and simply pulling our product back through uh, back through that existing hole in the ground at that point. Um, the, the benefits there, of course, are that you have a brand new pipeline, uh, which no longer relies on the integrity of that host pipe. It's simply using that existing infrastructure as a conduit uh, to be pulled through. And then, of course, you, um, you, you would have to take a nominal step down in that sense. So there's some pros and cons to it in that regard. But there are a lot of different options out there. And it's, it's certainly a solution that has uh, gained a lot of traction internationally, uh, not as much in the States, but uh, thanks, to, thanks to grassroots efforts and, and some very successful projects, we're seeing the, the, the activity in that regard uh, pick up greatly on our side. Outstanding. Outstanding. If you don't mind me, just a couple of personal notes. I had our internal water lines here at our house. It's 40 years old, um, uh, cured and used the cured in place process with an epoxy in lieu of having uh, PEX pipe put into our house. Uh, I'm always uh, keen for new technology and all that. So I actually had epoxy blown in and it's worked out uh, extremely well over the last few years. But of course, we're talking about uh, a very low pressure for for the water lines here in the house. And uh, I do remember when pipe bursting was a big, big thing years ago. I believe there were some old cast iron lines in uh, one of the boroughs of New York, as I recall, uh, where they were going through and, and bursting some of those lines in order to put uh, the new uh, lower pressure lines in. And and again, though, as you mentioned, those first three applications are more for a lower pressure application than they are a higher pressure. Correct? Correct. Yes, sir. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You, it's funny you mentioned the, the, the home infrastructure there. That's really kind of where this industry kicked off. Uh, we've, we've given a few presentations now and kind of give a little bit of background. And it always starts with that in-home uh, replacement of existing infrastructure, and it's 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 very fitting because when we when we share the concept of rehab with customers, we often use that that home uh, setting as a, as an analogy, right? Everybody has a home, and they can appreciate the uh, challenges of having to fix something when something does go wrong in your home. You don't you don't up and buy a brand new house if the piping in the in the walls needs to be replaced. You simply fix what you have, and. Uh, in a pipeline sense, that's what the, the value of rehabilitation really comes into play is rather than building a brand new system that has challenges with permitting and routing and price and, and now the environmental impact, uh, you can really start to see the advantages from utilizing that, re that existing infrastructure and repurposing it. Well, it, 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 right, and I'm not trying to make a sales pitch here, but my house is 40 years old, and we had that um, uh, CIPP put in uh, six years ago, and it's worked like a charm. So, uh, you know, we're we're living the dream at our house with that. But anyway, get back to uh, slip lining and pipe and pipe. Uh, let's let's start getting into what is. RTP, reinforced thermoplastic pipe. What what is that? What are we talking about? Yeah, that's that's a great question, uh, Casey. And so RTP or, or reinforced thermoplastic pipe generally describes the pipeline industry that utilizes existing materials 
uh, often in a repackaged sense to uh, maximize the benefits, right? So it's generally a three-layer design. You have a thermoplastic liner, which in our case is a 4710 HDPE, uh, the same gas-grade material that is widely used in the industry for polypipe, uh, which, of course, brings the inherent benefits of corrosion resistance and flow assurance. Uh, after you've laid that thermoplastic liner, you would come back over the top of it with a reinforcing material, hence the name reinforced thermoplastic. Uh, and it, there's a lot of different reinforcing materials on the market, uh, some of which are fiber-based, some of which, of course, are steel-based, as is with the case uh, with flex steel pipe. But that reinforcement layer is really what defines the capability of the product, the pressure rating, uh, the tensile rating, of course, which is critical for pipeline rehabilitation. Uh, and, and, and really uh, results in some, some unique value propositions down the road, but uh, ultimately different reinforcement materials that support that HDPE liner. And then you'll come back over the top of that reinforcement with another layer of some uh, thermoplastic material, uh, generally there to protect that reinforcement, no, having no bearing on the pressure rating of the product, uh, but in a similar sense to your uh, your corrosion and your uh, your FBE and your ARO coatings in the steel world, you've got that outer layer of a thermoplastic material there to protect that reinforcement from a potentially corrosive external environment. So Good. very simple design, but very highly engineered products that uh, were not very commonplace uh, too long ago. In the last few decades, we've really we've really gained a lot of traction and are starting to really challenge the the incumbent uh, commoditized materials, the the steels and the polys of the pipeline world. Sure, sure. Is there a uh, an SDR range that you normally go with your internal and external, or is that uh, dependent on pressures? Yeah. So, so the dimension ratio, uh, as is common. I guess, I'm sorry, let's yeah, back up for a second. Maybe you need to clarify what SDR is. I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to slide that in too quick. No, no, that's fine. Yeah. So, so the specified dimension, ra dimension ratio, which is common for monolithic polyethylene products, generally does not apply to the RTP space. Um, and the reason for that is when, when you have a monolithic material, you've got a single wall of material, single body structure that is meant to both contain the fluid and contain the pressures and stresses uh, that are coming with the pipeline operating environment. With the RTP space and specifically with flex steel, you have separated the fluid containment, which is, of course, the liner from the pressure containment, which is that steel reinforcement. And so you're able to maximize the benefits of each without having to worry about degradation of the performance of, of either material. Uh, subsequently, we don't have D rates like you would normally with poly with temperature and hydrocarbon exposure. Uh, and we're able to really vastly push the, the boundaries of what, uh, of what standard poly pipe can handle. So dimension ratios aren't terribly applicable to our product design. Um, but certainly a, a factor worth considering when you think of the thickness and the durability of the materials uh, of, that are, go into the design of our pipeline system. Well, you can you can you can see my uh, uh, ignorance in in this field, so I'm glad that you're on the line. I'm I've done a lot of HDPE and this that and the other uh, type work, um, but uh, this RTP sounds really really fascinating. Um, so so thank you for that. Uh, we talk a little bit about pipe and pipe. You mentioned that a little bit earlier when we were talking about slip lining. Can you describe pipe and pipe for me, please? Yeah, again, it's it's really just the, the utilization of uh, existing infrastructure for the benefit of oil and gas development. Um, 
many of the pipelines that we see our operators uh, operating are, like you'd mentioned, uh, quite quite old. I mean, many of the, the projects we look at are, are 1950s era pipeline. Uh, they've done a tremendous job with proper corrosion mitigation and, and uh, integrity management plans. But at a certain point, they're either uh, no longer fit for service from a wall loss perspective, or in, in many cases, that existing infrastructure was built for volumes that are no longer uh, needed for that infrastructure. And so in those cases, you, you run the risk of uh, having fluid dropout or pooling just from velocity challenges. So th- there's various reasons why you might look at an existing infrastructure for a pipeline replacement. But generally speaking, our focus, our sales pitch is to say, uh, remove that liability, which it is in some cases from your balance sheet and convert it back into an asset, whether it was in operation or what it, whether or not it was idled or, or shut in at that time. Uh, again, to us, it is simply a, a hole in the ground um, that that is perfectly aligned with the, the route that we want to pursue. Uh, and so we can take a look and, at, at slip lining and pulling through our existing uh, pipeline system. And, and like I mentioned earlier, we can con- uh, continue the service that it was once used for, whether it be crude or gas, uh, or we can completely change the service, uh, especially with the emerging markets in the hydrogen and carbon capture worlds, which we are ideally, our products are ideally suited for, you can take that that once utilized infrastructure and completely change its purpose, uh, and not to mention uh, do so at a, a fraction of the cost of a new lay, uh, and you, you really start to stack up a lot of efficiencies and, and value proposition for the end user there. I was just going to say that that leads you to your value proposition, isn't it? You're, you're yes. able to take an asset that may be obsolete, uh, take advantage of the right of way that you have, the void that you have there, and put something in for uh, either a, a new service for an existing product or a new product line or whatever, and, and essentially, literally rehabilitate the entire system. So that's that's pretty pretty darn cool. So so if if we have a pipeline that needs to be rehabilitated, what is the process? That that you would typically expect an operating company to go through in in looking at at rehabilitation method. Sure, sure. So the process from our perspective, and, and we we pride ourselves on staying hands on uh, throughout this process again because it is a very new concept, a very new product to begin with in, in many cases. But the concept of of slip lining and pipeline rehabilitation is is brand new to many customers. So again, we we stay very tied to the hip, make sure that all all value is captured, but Generally, the process starts uh, with the operator allowing us to understand what they need out of their system, right? What pressures, what flow rate, uh, what temperatures they need. And then that allows us to identify what minimum viable uh, product from our portfolio would be suited for that for that application. Once that is defined, then we start to say, hey, is there an existing infrastructure on the route that you want to pursue uh, and if there is, what are the sizes? What are the conditions of that line? Are there PIs? Are there uh, any constraints that we need to know about? Uh, and often that comes in the form of a KMZ, your Google Earth files, or in, in the best case scenario, your actual as-built or alignment sheets that fully define uh, both the uh, the route of the pipeline, but then the details of that pipeline, right? The, the radius of the bend, the type of bend it is, the angle. And then from there, uh, really allows us to to start the analytical process. So uh, my team and I, we when, when we get that information, we focus on um, actually going back and modeling in a 3D uh, space the dimensions of those bins, the dimensions of those PIs, 
and, uh, and the severity of them. And then one, we will identify whether or not we can pull through that existing infrastructure. Uh, if we can, it'll often stay in place. And if, if we cannot, we will, we will uh, plan to remove that and it will become a bell hole uh, used for our entry and exit points on execution. Um, from there, we're able to then maximize the length of the pull based on the capabilities of our product, uh, which is where that tensile rating really comes into play. Uh, we'll evaluate straight line loads, the, of course, the friction involved there, and then, of course, the capstan effect that you start to build up as you pull around multiple PIs. So there's, there's quite a bit of analysis that goes into it. Uh, but again, we pride ourselves on having an output of a simple uh, construction plan, if you will, that identifies the locations of the bell holes and then the links and expected uh, tensile uh, loads that we might see for that pull. So we put it in a nice, neat package for our customers, and then we will go execute, right? Of course, we have our deployment trailers and our swedge machines that are proprietary to uh, FlexDeal, but then we partner with industry uh, leaders in the wireline space. And uh, when I say wireline, most people think downhole, but these are these are just uh, winches on steroids, if you can imagine that. They use a synthetic rope that is as strong as steel, um, but is, of course, spoolable in a small, compact space, uh, very light, but very strong, uh, does not damage the host pipe integrity as we pull back through there, uh, and really allows us to, to do some pretty unique things. And uh, when I say unique things, we, we've done some pulls um, that have exceeded two miles of continuous pipe. And of course, that's multiple pipe packages with their associated fittings, but two miles of continuous product pulled through an existing infrastructure from one entry point to one exit point. Uh, a bell hole for our products typically range from 15 to 30 feet, depending on the size. So you can imagine the efficiencies gained with, if you assume a 30 foot bell hole, you've got 60 linear feet of uh, excavated ground, uh, excavated exis existing infrastructure with two miles of, a, of a, a brand new pipeline pulled through there. So again, the, the, the scalability of the, of the process and the value proposition is tremendous, but even on a small scale, uh, you can start to really see the cost savings from a um, from an installation perspective. Well, two miles is 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 fascinating, and and you say that that was done in multiple pulls. Did I misunderstand yes. that? No, so it was actually done in a single pull. So one of the one of the major value propositions for for all RTP products is the spoolable nature, right? So your your typical commoditized solutions are going to come in a forty foot joint. Um, with, with, I'll speak, I'll speak specifically to flex deal. Cause I know that product, uh, we have a two inch reel, uh, a reel of two inch pipe. That's over a mile of continuous pipe. So 6,500 feet, give or take, we have some unique, uh, packaging options that actually coil our larger diameter products. And, uh, in a six inch, we can get about a half mile of continuous pipe. Our eight inch is about a quarter mile and our 10 inch, which is industry leading is about, uh, five to 600 feet. So, Again, you can see just simply on a single package basis, the value proposition uh, for any installation type uh, from a, a, of a of a spooled or a coiled product relative to a stick, uh, a stick solution there. Now, in the case of a two mile pull, that was multiple packages of that 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 skew that design uh, with the proper pipe to pipe couplings, what we call a midline fitting uh, meant to connect the, the composite to the composite or the RTP to the RTP there. And we just simply stacked those together and pulled it through the host pipe um, and then piggybacked our way onto the next pole. So some, some poles can be five, 600 feet. Of course, some can be two miles in length, just depending on what that existing infrastructure calls for. 
Gotcha. Gotcha. And as far as prepping the host line, all you need to do is make sure that there's no obstruction there that will keep the initial pig with the pull line from getting hung up. That's right? correct. That, that's compared, spot on. Yes, sir. As, yes. Compared, as, as compared to the CIPP and some of these other processes where you've got to make sure that the host pipeline ID is nice and clean. I don't know if it needs to be nice near white, but at least prepped to a point where it's, it's uh, going to let the epoxy or whatever adhere to the ID. You don't have that, that concern, do you? Correct. No, we, we generally do not require or, 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 quite frankly, are not concerned about the, the integrity of the host pipe any further because it is simply a conduit for us. But we do we do ask for things to be safe, right? Of course, we'll, we'll make sure that the operator has, has picked that line in some, in some recent time to make sure there's no uh, liquids or anything st- uh, still in, in, the, in place of the pipeline. Uh, once they've made those pigging runs, um, the, to your point, the wireline company that we work with will come out. They will flange up to the uh, existing infrastructure, typically using a 150 ANSI slip-on flange. They will then bolt up to that, utilizing uh, their wireline unit. And then they'll, they'll have that pig that you had mentioned that serves two purposes. Uh, of course, the primary purpose of that pig is to get that synthetic rope from one end to the other such that it can pull back the RTP product. Um, but that pr- pig will also be equipped with a sizing plate. And that sizing plate is generally sized based on either the uh, ID of the host pipe or the OD of the new product going through there. So in some sense, to to make sure that we can effectively model or or uh, at least trial a, a similar sized product going through that host pipe. And what it's effectively looking for is dents or ovalities or over penetrations from a weld uh, that may cause an obstruction or could potentially damage the product, um, the RTP product that is being pulled through. So that pig, that pig is very effective, a very simple, very simple solution, but very effective in making sure that that uh, existing infrastructure is suitable to be pulled through. And at that point, it's uh, grab onto the the reel or coil of the RTP product and simply pull it back through. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of planning that goes into this. There's a lot of effort in, in making sure that everything's done properly. And then you get to execute. And the the actual insertion of the pipeline is the fastest part of the process. I mean, we've... <laughs> We've we've pulled pipe in at about a hundred uh, to to one hundred fifty feet a second. So uh, we the the faster we go, the less time we the fewer times we stop, the better from a tensile load anyway. So once it gets rolling, it's a it's a very smooth process. Yeah, you you want to take advantage of the inertia that you build up, don't you? Absolutely, absolutely. And we we don't want to create any more static friction and have to overcome that than we than we do. So we we yeah. will also use lubricants, right? We we've, we've used canola oil, which. Um, is, is, of course, e- uh, economically and environmentally friendly. But then for some longer pools, we've got some downhole grade lubricants that, that uh, really, really get that smooth uh, surface there for us to really get that friction factor low. Yeah. And that's, that's really what allows us to stretch our legs, Casey, is the, is the removal of that friction factor. Uh, we, we've started looking even in the offshore space about some, some offshore uh, rehabilitation uh, projects. And in that case, it, it starts to be a floating conversation, right? The specific gravity, gravity of the pipe relative to the specific gravity of the seawater in that case. And uh, in a floating environment, your friction's quite low. So your pull, your your calculated pull uh, distances can can be quite eye-opening. But again, it just really speaks to the value proposition of, uh, of pipeline rehabilitation in general. Yeah, not to get off on the subject too far, but we do the same thing when it comes to directional drill sizing and all of that. We want to make sure that we've got the right buoyancy uh, with the pipe 
maybe add a little water to the idea of the pipe so that as we do the pullback through the uh, uh, hole, the annulus that's been created in the HDD, we minimize the friction because the pipe is actually floating inside the annulus where the mud is. So we eliminate any friction rubbing up against the, the walls of the, of the um, uh, drill annulus. So makes perfect sense to me. Makes perfect sense to me. That's good. That's good. So this all sounds fascinating. So let's talk about cost. Mm-hmm. What, what is the, the cost relative to Using using um, an RTP pipe and pipe, if you say arrangement, versus relatively to to digging and repairing an existing line. Right. Well, when you when you compare to to dig and repair uh, of an existing line, you, you have to also include the steps that got you to that decision point. Right. You've got an existing infrastructure. You're likely, if it's a steel line, you're likely going to run some sort of inline inspection tool. That is going to begin to identify anomalies, identify uh, corrosion in that wall, and and those are costly, right? Those can be quite quite um, capital intensive, and the unfortunate reality there is they haven't solved any problem. They've just f- further com- further confirmed that you do have an integrity issue that needs to be dealt with. So uh, that's step one. When you when you simply just start to look at the construction costs uh, of pick and replace, uh, pick and replace, or, or even a new lay. The, the savings really start to add up. Like, like I had mentioned, a, a typical bell hole is about 30 feet. If you're going to do a pick and replace every, every time you see an anomaly, you're going to have, in some cases, a virtually a brand new pipeline, uh, which every time you have to dig and replace, you've, you've got all of those continuous costs. But um, we, we've seen some customers, KC, that have, that have saved, I don't know, 15 to 20% relative to a, relative to a new lay. Uh, we've seen customers save up to 70% relative to a new lay, just depending on the size, the length, and the complexity of, of, the, of the routing challenges, right? So um, that, that's really where the cost savings comes into play. And, and quite frankly, that's, that's really what drives the industry, the industry uh, interest in this solution, right? And it, in many cases, right, wrong or otherwise, operators are, are a little more hesitant to utilize pipeline products or pipeline solutions that aren't the commoditized known um, material that has been been around for forever, and so you have to find, uh, especially in the midstream space, you really have to find that opportunity to say, "Look, the, the value here is so great, so tremendous that we cannot overlook this this solution." And once we get a first shot, we we generally get a second and third and fourth shot. Once the customer sees the value, sees the process, sees how efficient, and and, and again realizes those savings. They, uh, they begin to, to open their eyes to the solution, but then also really start to look closely at their infrastructure and say, is it worth running another ILI tool to tell us what we already know? Or should we, should we look at pulling something back through there and, and, uh, and actually sizing this pipeline uh, as it should be sized to help uh, eliminate that corrosion and, and put, a, put a new product in there that's going to eliminate or, or, or severely slow down corrosion from that same flowing environment. So this this gets back to FEMSA and DOT's uh, definition of sound engineering practices, doesn't it? Yes, sir. Uh, where where you have a product that is new, we experience that uh, clock spring comes to mind, mm-hmm. and 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 Flex Steel does as well, where you're not getting an endorsement 
from the federal government, but they're willing to allow you to, as an operator, say something to the effect that you've used sound engineering judgment in deciding that this is the way we want to repair this segment of pipeline in order to move forward. And that's a big part of what you do, is it not? Yes, sir. Absolutely. And, and that's, that's again, kind of that, that market value driver there is, is utilizing, utilizing this solution in, in places that you may not get a new pipeline permitted. Uh, we've had customers in, in regulated applications, both 192 and 195, find that they need to traverse a national forest or they need to traverse a navigable waterway. And there's, there's a decent chance that in, in many of our lifetimes, you will not get a, a new pri- pipeline permitted or, or it's going to be very, very challenging. Uh, so to be able to utilize that exist, existing infrastructure just completely flips that discussion on its head. Now, to your point, um, the only materials that are certain, uh, currently codified in 49 CFR are your steel and HDPE materials. So we do have to go through what is called a special permit process in, in regulated applications, mind you. Un, unregulated, we can install it as soon as it, as it hits the floor and is ready to ship. But in those regulated spaces, we have to go through a special permit process and, to your point, identify the sound engineering judgment that has been uh, been utilized to both prove the capability of the RTP that is being uh, installed, which in, in our case is driven by API 15S, and then of course show the routing and the planned installation and operation of that pipeline through the existing infrastructure. So uh, a few different steps, we, we've built out templates, we've really gotten that process streamlined. Uh, we have a tremendous success record on both 192 and 195 across the country. Uh, we, we believe it or not, we have two permits approved in California. We're, uh, we've got many in Texas around the uh, around the country, really and truly, and uh, and that number is growing constantly. But uh, that process is again showing FEMSA that there are alternative uh, solutions out there, engineered solutions, mind you, that are just as good, if not better, in some cases than the commoditized. Uh, incumbent there. And so it really allows us to showcase our capabilities. And then ultimately, our, our goal here at, at FlexSteel is to get API 15S and, and to get our product uh, incorporated by reference into those specs. And uh, depending on who you talk to, it may be more, more uh, viable than, than others, but uh, I, I plan to be here for the long term. So I hope that uh, that goal still remains on the table. But at that point, once you once you reach a codified space, um, you no longer have that special permit and, and you can install the product uh, in any in any application, regulated or unregulated. And, and sure. We, we're, in, we're at that place in Canada, right? We, we do a lot of a lot of work in Canada and everything up there is completely regulated. So in some sense, there's an argument to be made that we should just rip the Band-Aid off here in the States and start regulating everything and just get everybody up, up to speed. But I understand the, the cost and in, in, in prohibitive uh, challenges there from an installation and operation perspective. So there's uh, there's always give and take, but uh, in a regulated space, we have proven that that track record, and and we have ongoing conversations virtually every week about new opportunities there. Good. Well, a couple of things you mentioned O and M, and you've mentioned FEMSA two or three times. So so that gets back into the the mega rule, if you will, and worrying about pipeline integrity, the mm-hmm. the, the the need to prove pipeline integrity, and you know what is the O&M process for this product to make sure that it's going to be in good shape 20 years down the road? Sure, sure. No, that's a great question and, and really goes back to, to FEMS's comfortability with it. So 
When we manufacture our product, we, of course, uh, complete all the factory acceptance testing, which is uh, the big one there is a hydro test. Uh, we hydro test every inch of our product before it leaves the facility uh, to make sure that it is fully fit for service before it leaves and, and ends up on the right of way. And then once you've got it in, uh, laid out and installed, uh, you would still have your same commissioning hydro test that you would with any uh, existing pipeline material. Uh, again, that is that is not to confirm really much the integrity of the pipe because we've already done that, but make sure that those fittings have been properly installed and are of the same pressure rating there. Uh, and then beyond that, um, it, it's really going to be dependent on which product you use. I'll, I'll speak specifically for FlexSteel. You, we have we have a unique ability to actually pneumatically test the integrity of that outer layer of HDPE because of the unbonded nature of our product design. Um, it's what we call our ShieldSure annulus test, and it's simply it's as simple as injecting an inert gas into that space, pressurizing it, and showing that a positive and, and continuous pressure is 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 being able to be held in that space, which confirms the integrity of that outer layer of HDPE. Uh, you can think of it in very similar sense to a jeeping process where you where you uh, evaluate a steel pipeline once it has been laid in the ground to make sure that that, uh, that outer coating there has not been damaged and thus you're not worried about an external environment affecting the integrity of the pipeline. That shield shirt test proves the exact same um, purpose for us, uh, making sure that that outer layer of HDPE is fully intact. Now, what we've seen in a regulated space is we can actually take that inherent product design and apply it to an actual operating uh, condition wherein we call it annulus monitoring. So you would take what was once a post-installation integrity check and now apply blanket pressure, tie that back into your SCADA systems and have full real-time, uh, in this case two-layer, and then in the case of rehab, three-layer pressure monitoring capabilities to prove the integrity of every layer of material that you have in that pipeline system. So again, when it goes back to FEMSA, it's it's proving to them not only one, that you can meet the minimum requirement that is uh, listed for the codified materials, but how do you go above and beyond? And, and that annular space and the ability to monitor pressures in that space is really in my mind, what has uh, set FlexSteel aside as, as far as the success that we've had. Sure. Yeah. Again, you're dealing with an industry that that needs to have proof of structural integrity, and and with this application, you do have that capability. So that's that's pretty pretty cool stuff. Good for you. Um, we're we're talking a little bit past time, uh, David. Is there anything that you want the industry to know um, uh, about um, the products and what we're talking about with with regard to rehabilitation of pipelines? Yeah, I think I think in closing, the big thing there, I'd say, Casey, is is I, I often uh, use a quote that that is it's, it's typically um, attributed to to Henry Ford. But the the quote is, if you always do, do if you always do what you've always done, you will always get what you've always got. And, and I know it, it kind of sounds a little whimsical there, but it's it's a general in my mind, it's a general sense to the pipeline and to the energy industry as a whole to start to really look at the practices that have been around for forever. Um, and, and not in the sense that look at them in the sense that they're wrong, but look in the look at them in the sense that there's opportunity for enhancement, opportunity for optimization. Uh, Flex deal is, is only a small uh, fraction of the total industry development that has happened over the last two decades and in the continuous involvement uh, evolution, I should say, of that industry. And so there's a lot of new technologies out there that can really simplify and even optimize 
the the, the practices and processes that, op, that uh, engineers and operators go through every day. So definitely just just to keep an eye out for those things, especially as the new generation comes in. Um, just because it's always been done that way doesn't mean there's not room for improvement. So, uh, well, I, as as someone who's lived through learning how to do directional drills, as uh, someone who remembers when clock spring was originally introduced to the industry, uh, you know, we've always been a little reluctant to be the first person out the door. But uh, once a track record is is achieved, uh, we have been quick to to embrace things uh, and and. Uh, I think that, that that'll be the case with reinforced uh, thermoplastic pipes like uh, the one Flex Steel has. So, uh, again, uh, totally understand, but uh, and I appreciate you taking the time to visit with us today. Yeah, so, absolutely, Casey. Definitely appreciate the time. Yeah. So if anyone would like to learn more about Flex Steel, find them on the web at flexsteelpipe.com. So thanks to all of you for tuning into this episode of the Energy Pipeline podcast sponsored by Caterpillar Oil and Gas. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for podcast topics, feel free to email me at kc.yost at oggn.com. I also want to thank my producer, Anastasia Willison-Duff and everyone at the Oil & Gas Global Network for making this podcast possible. Find out more about other OGGN podcasts at OGGN.com. So this is Casey Yo saying goodbye for now. Have a great week and keep that energy flowing through the pipeline. Come back next week for another episode of The Energy Pipeline, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. To learn more, go to OGGN.com.